Good morning, Grace family. All right, it is a great morning indeed to gather together to worship our good God, our Savior, our King, Jesus. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Keone Hughes, and I have the incredible honor of serving as the lead teaching pastor here at Grace. That means I get to open up God's Word with you guys every single Sunday when I am not gallivanting about. I get to give other dudes an opportunity to step in the pulpit and use their gifts as well. A couple of announcements for us before we get rolling with our passage this morning. First off, Memorial Day weekend, we will begin a new service schedule. So we started 9 and 11 a.m. services back in the fall in order to accommodate for social distancing reasons. But we will be moving back to a 10 a.m. single service gathering on Memorial Day weekend. My hunch is I'm not going to get as many applauses in the 11 a.m. <laughs> so we're excited, though, to gather together as, a, as, a, as one body coming uh, on Memorial Day weekend, 10 a.m. Next week, we're going to talk about a vision moving forward, moving from God's word and trying to understand where we might actually have a process and a perspective and a vision for moving toward two services but for the time being, for the summer services, uh, we want to be all gathered together 10 a.m. I know all of the parents are probably saying amen to that as well. Because during the summertime, you can bring your kids to the 10 a.m. service. So that's the one announcement. Um, second of all, we have been walking through our new Heart of Grace series. And the Heart of Grace is really to try and understand what God has laid on the elders' hearts here at Grace over the last 18 months as we prayed and processed where is God taking us in the direction that he is leading us forward? And we've been talking about the vision, and we've been establishing our missional framework, these three action steps in order for us to actually accomplish the vision we believe God is calling us to. The vision that we laid out a few weeks ago is to see Christ exalted in every heart and in every home in West Michigan and beyond. That is our vision statement that we have been moving towards and working forward to seeing. We want to see Christ being exalted. Again, if you've not listened to the last few messages in regards to our first, our first missional framework and step, I want you to go back and listen to that. We covered that last week, and then two weeks ago, when we talked about seeing Christ exalted in every heart and every home, I want you to go back and listen to those so you understand where it is that we're wanting to go. This is the where, right? If you say, hey, kids, jump in the car, or hey, let's go, uh, let's go on a road trip. You want to know where it is that you're going. Where's the destination that we're heading to? We believe as elders and as the leadership and the staff of grace that we are moving toward a future the destination is to see Christ exalted in every heart and every home in West Michigan and beyond. Now, some of us are thinking, that might take a while to get there. That might take a while to get there. Our desire is to have an inexhaustible and limitless perspective as far as our desire to reach out to the community beyond us. We want to see Christ exalted in every heart and every home in West Michigan and beyond. And last week when we got together, we talked about our first missional step. What is our missional framework for how we're going to get there? What is the strategy? And we talked about encountering God. We said we desire to actually see everyone exalt Christ by encountering God. And we defined encounter as God-initiated moments that bring transformation and redirection of life's purpose and mission. And so we looked at a pattern that was established in Genesis, and we saw the pattern develop throughout the rest of Scripture, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. And I gave a challenge 
to everybody to go and see if they could find some of these encounters where God initiated a moment with someone and we saw this recognition of judgment. There was a recognition of God's holiness and our creatureliness in each one of these occasions that we looked at in each one of these encounters. And, and after that recognition of judgment and God's holiness, we saw that the movement was to not only be struck with awe at God's incredible nature, divine beauty, but we actually saw that there was an offer of redemption. He always is pointing forward to his merciful demeanor, and the character within his heart is to move us toward understanding his redemptive purposes. And we even saw in the life of Moses and in the disciples that, were, that they were called into seeing that purpose fulfilled. So there's a redirection that happens in each of our lives as we encounter God. And we said that we encounter God in his word today. That, that our Bibles, our scriptures are actually God's initiated moments that he is sending us to actually encounter him in his word. And as we encounter in his, him in his word, we are transformed and we find redirection of our life's purpose and our mission as we encounter him. The challenge was, from last week, to ask yourself, am I encountering God in his word on a daily basis? Am I actually being transformed and renewed into the image of Christ? And the image we had was that of Mount Rushmore. That some of us, when we come to encounter God, we have these massive character flaws. Some of us are hung up in addictions. Some of us are hung up in sin that we, that we, that we are blinded to. And when we encounter God, we're met and confronted with the reality of his holiness and his desire for our lives. And we get these pictures of, of seeing those character flaws blown up and ripped away. And some of us are in the fine-tuning process. God is using a hand chisel, and the Holy Spirit is chiseling away in our hearts. Anger, self-loathing, wrath, deceitfulness, lying, jealousy, selfish ambition. And the Spirit of God is whittling away in our hearts in order to perfect us. And this is a redirection. This is the transforming work that we're seeing happen. And so we believe that if we desire to see Christ exalted in every heart and every home, the first logical step for our community is that our first missional step that we would take is to bring people to encounter God in his word. Bring people to encounter God in his word. The second missional step that we're going to understand and unpack this morning is not only are we going to call people to encounter God, but once they've encountered God, we are, we are calling them those who are found that they were lost and now they're found. And so what our, our missional framework is that our, our perspective as a church and our responsibility is to train the found. That once you've come to encounter God and you recognize that you stand in judgment and you, you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, now it's a matter of actually working together with the Holy Spirit in order for you to be refined and that comes through training. It comes through training. And so this morning we're gonna unpack this through one particular verse, but you're going to see how there's connection points all over. And so before we actually set out to define what training is, I'm going to ask you to look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. And just to give you your bearings a little bit, when we jump into the letter to the Ephesians, if Ephesus was kind of a universal 
uh, church. It was a church that Paul was writing to, but it was, he was unpacking the drama of the gospel, and he was writing to this church that reached out to so many different nations that the entirety of the world could essentially be found in Ephesus. And as he wrote to them, he unpacks this cosmic drama that is unfolding that God had actually brought through redeeming the world through his son, Paul is unpacking what's happening in large strokes and broad strokes. That is, this is a universal letter that is written essentially to the universal church, although it is isolated to the church in Ephesus. So this this applies broadly to every single church that Paul is writing to, and he's giving us this larger perspective of what is supposed to happen within the church. What is it that God has done, and how do we react and respond to that? And so he begins to unpack more specifically how it fleshes itself out within the church. How does the gospel actually practically apply in the life of the church? And so we find our passage in Ephesians 4.11. Would you please stand as we read God's word this morning? Here at Grace, we stand out of reverence and respect for the word of God, knowing that we submit to its every word, because every word is authored by God himself. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. And as you find your seats, would you please bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are our God, that we can call on you, our Father. And Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, that you have laid up in store for us treasures and riches. Lord, knowledge and understanding of who you are that you have revealed to us that we might encounter you this morning in your word. And Lord, as we encounter you in your word, would you please transform us into your likeness, Jesus. Spirit of God, I pray that you would bind my tongue and allow me to say only that which you desire me to. Lord, whatever is of my flesh and my desires, would you let it fall flat? And instead, Lord Jesus, would you work within hard hearts to soften? Would you work within broken hearts to mend? Lord, we thank you that we are your church and you've called us. Lord, we pray that this word that goes forth would be clear, that it would be in accordance with your word, that it would be accomplishing your will, that we as a church would grow up, grow up into full maturity and be sent out to reach the world and accomplish your mission In Jesus' name, we all said. So what is training? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. If we're saying that our missional framework for how we're going to accomplish the vision that we're seeing, how are we going to do that? Okay, encounter God. Am I encountering God? Am I calling others to encounter God in his word today? The second step would be to train. And the question that I want percolating in your minds through the entire message is, am I actually training Am I being trained? Am I being trained? What is training? Here's how I'd like to define training for us as a body of Christ. Training is equipping followers of Christ to holistically walk with Jesus for service and building. Equipping followers of Christ to holistically walk with Jesus 
for service and building. That's how we're defining train. And the thing is, Jesus actually modeled this intentional training with his disciples, and he focused in on their spiritual maturity. And as we look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 this morning, we see that there are purposes in what God is actually calling us to do in regards to training. How is it that Paul is actually defining this training? Where are we getting this idea of train? We're going to see, we're going to just basically walk through this definition and we're going to unpack it step by step. Number one would be equipping followers of Christ. That's the found, training the found. Number two would be holistically walking with Jesus. And in that we're going to talk about the different holistic areas, the different spheres we must train. And then we're going to talk about training with a purpose and training with a goal. So in order to start us off this morning, I'd like to look at equipping. How is it that Paul actually defines this? He says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does it mean to equip? The word that Paul uses here, he basically makes up. He creates a word. It's the only time we have it used in the New Testament. And the word train, the word equip can also be translated as train. It can be translated as train. It comes from a root word that finds connections in Mark 1 and in Matthew 4 that oftentimes people get stuck and focused in on. And it's used specifically in context when Jesus is calling James and his brother John to be disciples for him. And it says that they were mending their nets. That is restoring or repairing their nets. And a lot of times when preachers will use this passage to talk about what the church is supposed to be doing, in regards to equipping, they talk about a bone being placed back in line that that a doctor would come in and they would restore and repair the bone that's broken. But in context, Paul is not talking about salvation or putting back together that which was broken. He's talking more specifically about what the people gifts of the church were given to do. Jesus himself gave people gifts. He mentions those in verse 11. The evangelists, the apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are people gifts that God gives to the church, and their specific task is to equip the saints, meaning train the found. So we're not talking about a restorative work or a mending work. What we're talking about is actually preparing you, preparing the saints, preparing the found to enter into ministry, to enter into ministry. When Paul is describing training, He has a perspective in his mind that comes from Jesus himself, and that's where we get this idea, what does it mean to to train, to, to prepare yourself? If we're going to a destination, what you need to ask yourself is, what do I need in order to get there? What is it that I need as a believer, and what do I need to do in the church in order for me to be equipped and prepared and trained to see Christ exalted in every heart and every home? What is it that I need? You can think of yourself like a construction worker on a construction site. And if you show up to work and you got no tools in your belt, guess how much work you're going to accomplish that day? Very little. And the first thing your supervisor or your journeyman is going to ask you is, do you have any tools? Do you have any tools to actually accomplish what it is that we're seeking to do? And their responsibility would be to say, it's all right, you can use my tools. For one, that means they can sit and drink coffee in their sweet trucks, right? Am I right? But secondarily, it means that they can give you what you need in order to accomplish the task that you've been called to do. 
Jesus actually gives us the directive. And I think when we understand the training that we're supposed to be accomplishing in the church, it helps us to actually acknowledge the fact that we might fall short. There might be some gaps in our game. What am I talking about? Holistically walking with Jesus. Jesus actually describes for his disciples the different areas that he desires them to be trained in. That they would have a holistic formation in understanding how they're supposed to live as Christ. Now, first of all, just knowing myself and knowing this body, I kind of want to address something. I don't want to lose some of us when we talk about holistic development and spiritual formation. All right? Because I know that for myself, when I first entered into seminary and they started talking about holistic development, I thought they were trying to sell me a card, a membership card to Whole Foods or something. I did not know what they were talking about. Holistic, what do you mean? I immediately thought in my head when I heard them talking about holistic formation, I was thinking, ew, that sounds weird. That sounds gross, and I kind of lumped it together with triggered words, like, like, or words that like triggered. I lumped it together with words like snowflake. I lumped it into all these other words that I just didn't really like, like posture. What's your heart's posture? I don't like any of those words, and I lumped it all together. And I was like, I don't want to talk about holistic development, but the reality is it is talking specifically about what Jesus commanded in his double love command. You see, in Luke 10, 27, Jesus gives a double love command to his disciples. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This double love command is focused in on loving God and loving others, but it doesn't stop short there. Jesus actually gives us a holistic perspective of what it means to love God. You can't just love God with one area of your life. Jesus is saying you must love God with all that you are and with all that you have, with every single aspect of your being. In, in other words, you must holistically your entire person and being must be devoted to the love of God. And so when we talk about training, I want to break this up into three specific areas. Jesus mentions four. I think two of them can be combined. Some of you theologians may have differences with that. That's fine. Send me an email. Tim at solagrace.org. Just <laughs> three separate areas that I think we can talk about categorizing our training head heart and hands when you come to church you got to ask yourself the question am I ready and prepared to enter into train as a found person that Jesus has found and saved and redeemed am I ready to actually enter into train in order to be sent and to go out into the world if you're not ready for training, if you've not showed up to church ready to train, then you might have the wrong perspective of what church exists to do. We're here to glorify God. And by glorifying God, we mean head, heart, and hands are totally devoted and sold out to Jesus. Let's talk about the head for a second. When Jesus says we must really love God with all of our minds, we're talking about head knowledge. This is an area that I don't think particularly in West Michigan we necessarily struggle with. This is an area that I think we might actually be very great at. Now the reality is, I think that we're so good at loving God with our own minds that we might be overtraining in one particular area of our lives. 
You walk in and you got a big, huge head. You look like mega mind. But the rest of your body is totally atrophied. And if I were a physical trainer and I came in and I saw like a lot of dudes, their upper bodies are totally jacked and got little chicken legs. Say, dude, you're skipping, you're skipping leg day. All right, everybody knows it. Those shorts aren't fooling anyone, pal. You're a little bit lopsided here. And I think that for many of us, it is easier to love God with our minds than to practically love him with our hearts and our hands. You see, because it's, it's easier for me to make a mental ascent to grab the theological cookie on the shelf, especially if it's one I've known since I was a kid. It's easy for me to come in, to sit here, and to critique a lesson, a teaching, or a sermon, or a curriculum because I have so much head knowledge and i got big fat head. Some of us have asteroid-sized heads in the church and our hearts are like teeny tiny pebbles. And the reality is, for for a world that is desperately looking not only for truth, they're also looking for love. And for some of us, like myself, empathy does not come naturally. My kids fall down, I say, get up, right? Andrea runs over, oh. I'm like, oh, right, yeah, I should probably. The world is looking for Christians who pursue them through love. And as Jesus defines love, yes, Yes, we must speak the truth in love, but some of us are so, so satisfied with just knowing the truth that we don't actually ever approach someone else in love. Right? When I was growing up, I was so, I was so satisfied with showing up to school, knowing the right verses, having my apologetic defenses lined up, then when someone would come and approach me, I would be like, I would have my Bible ready to just absolutely thump them be like "Ah, I gotta go to lunch anyways I hope you have a great day and they they left maybe understanding a little bit of the aspect of the truth that I had just unpacked for them they certainly didn't feel the warmth of Christ and here's what I want to challenge us with who who tend to have big old fat heads when it comes to theology here's what I want to challenge you with when Jesus approached People who were lost, who were desperately wicked, who were running away from God. He was moved with such compassion for them that he wept. But when he approached the religious people, most often Jesus was saying things like, you should know better. Why is it that Jesus had to actually stand and draw a line in the sand for a woman who was caught in adultery in order to say, Who of you is without sin? It's amazing to me that Rosaria Butterfield, who has written so much in regards to becoming a Christian, who came out of the LGBTQ plus movement, who was a liberal professor and had nothing and wanted nothing to do with Christians, it's amazing to me that her testimony begins with a quiet, humble pastor of a small church who simply invited over for a meal and that through that meal she experienced the love of Christ that drew her in and drew her in and drew her in until the point where Christ wooed her and she accepted him as a savior you may have truth down 
But if the world knows not the love of God through you, you got to wonder if you're not a little bit lopsided in your training. And so the call for us as Christians is, yes, to love God with all of our minds, but then to wonder, am I actually loving him with all of my heart and with my hands as well? All of my strength, all of my might, all of my power. Some of us probably need to beef up our game when it comes to loving our neighbors. And I'm not talking about like figurative neighbors. I'm talking about like your actual neighbors. I think in America, we've lost the art of neighboring. And I think it would, it, would be, it would be incredible if you were known for the person who gave and gave and gave and loved and loved and loved. Many of you are. Many of you are the hands and feet of Jesus in that way, but I, I wonder if we couldn't actually analyze our hearts and say, Lord, I've learned to love you with my whole mind. I can, I can quote the Westminster Confession. I know all the answers. Maybe the shorter catechism. But when it comes to actually loving my neighbors well, I think I can grow there. And a simple question would be to just ask yourself, do my neighbors immediately around me, to my right, to my left, maybe you're in an apartment, up, down, maybe you're in a condo across the street from you, do they even know that I'm a Christian? Have I shown them love in such a way that they would know I'm a Christian? Or am I so worried about their kids playing on my lawn? We, I believe, are atrophied in some of those areas. It's not only that we're called to love God with all of our minds, we're also called to love him with our heart and our hands as well. But some of us are more heart-hands oriented and not so much the mind. Perhaps some of us in here are really great at training our souls and our hearts. We find it natural to move towards empathy and compassion. You're all heart. And people know you love, but they know not why you love. And this would be the aspect to challenge yourself and to wonder, do they know the God that I love and the reason why I'm loving them? Do I even ever speak the truth or am I so worried about them being offended by the truth that I might lay before them that I just bite my tongue and I hold my tongue and I never actually talk about the Lord I say I love. You see, so many of us can be compassionate and move with empathy, but we don't actually know the God that we say we love. And this is, again, becoming a little bit lopsided in our training. This would be like a hippie Christian. All heart, no head. Hey, man, I just want to love people, man, you know, like... Man, I just, they just need to know I love them. Yeah, but is Jesus the only way? <laughs> Does God still judge sinners? I just love you, man. So if you love God so much, how is it that you can't actually describe him? And this would be the challenge for some of us who are very uncomfortable about speaking the truth at all. We speak the love in love. You're, you're, you're a little bit atrophied and lopsided in your training. The classic example for this would be, I'm at the store, I'm a little bit hung up, and I'm stuck in regards to the product that I'm supposed to buy, and so naturally I need to ask my wife, which naturally raises the question, I'm not sure why she sent me to the store in the first place, right? 
I don't know which one to get. She's out in the car. I got a couple of kids. I can't just leave. I, so I see someone walking by. You walk past. And I'm like, hey, I need to know which one my wife wants. You're like, okay, great. Logical question. Where, where, where's your wife parked? What does she look like? I'm like, she's in a parking lot. Okay, great. Anything else you can add to that? Uh, yeah, well, tell me why, you know what, just tell me what your wife looked like. Okay, okay. Uh, she's about, she's between five and six feet tall. Um, she's got kind of reddish brown, brown maybe, maybe a little blonde in there, hair. Uh, her eyes are blue, green, brown, blue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure who I'm looking for, right? The hippie Christian the one that's just filled with compassion. Some of us are so empathetic that we don't want to actually step on people's toes by telling them, yes, God still judges people. The challenge for those of us who move more towards empathy and compassion than knowledge and understanding is you don't actually know who you're talking about. That if you can't actually describe God, right, and you just say, look, I don't want to put God in a box. God put himself and his heart and his character in scripture for us. This is for us to know who he is. That's why he revealed himself to us. And so if somebody asks you a question and you have no answer, and you find yourself just wanting to be like a big old teddy bear and just say, let's all get along, you are not actually loving them ultimately in the end because they will stand before a holy and righteous judge. And they've got to know that. And you've got to know the God that you say you love. If you're all heart and no hands and no head, you might be that hippie Christian who needs to actually know the God that you say you love. All feeling, all emotion, all experience. The challenge would be for you to actually look to engage God with your mind and to love him with all your mind. If you're not a part of a DNA group, if you're not a part of women's Bible study on Tuesday mornings, if you're not a part of our training workshops, these are the areas that we as a church are called to actually equip you to train you. We want to train Christians to actually know the truth so you can speak the truth not only confidently and boldly but in love towards others. Some of us maybe find a little bit more natural the doers, right? The doers. We can use our hands to glorify God. We're really great at, at the training with our hands being active in our faith but when it comes to actually opening up our mouths to speak, we hesitate. Oh, I'm more of a background guy, gal, I'll serve, but I don't want to, mm, not going to, mm. right? Now that, there are so many believers in our church who if you needed something, if you needed a fence built, a deck built, if you needed help working on your roof, if there was something that was busted, there's so many believers sitting right here in this congregation who would show up and they would be there to help and serve and care. We are so great with our hands. But the question for you would be, are you actually bold enough for Christ? Are you unashamed of the gospel to actually speak the truth to someone and say, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. Jesus loves you, gave his life for you, if you would just repent and believe in him. Some of us 
maybe think that that moment of offense of the gospel seems to be so offensive that we want to like spare Jesus the embarrassment of being rejected. We must all acknowledge that we were the ones who rejected Jesus. And he reached out and put his hands out on our behalf out of love for us. It's funny because I think there's so many, there are a lot of people in our area who I think if I just do enough good things, someone's going to actually ask me. If I show someone again and again and again and again, they're eventually going to ask me and I'm just going to tell them because the big guy upstairs, right? If I just love people practically, they'll eventually ask me. And I, this, is, this is the friend zone Christian. This is the friend zone Christian. So many dudes think if I just, man, if I just am around her and I'm her support and I'm a shoulder to cry on, she's eventually going to be like, he loves me. You're in the friend zone. You are in the friend zone, dude. And there are a lot of Christians who are practically engaging, but you are afraid. We're afraid to open to actually speak the truth in that moment. Jesus is calling us to train holistically, in each of these areas. What would it be like for you to engage beyond that? To enter into a life group, to actually seek to give life-giving ways, not only to the life group, but to learn to love in community so you can go out and speak boldly in truth. How are you learning to practically engage the Lord with your head and your heart? If you're so willing to offer help, we ought to be able to be moved with love and compassion also to understand the God we know. In each of these areas, we're called to actually cross-train. So we're not lopsided and heavy on one aspect of our training. I know God with my mind really well, but I never serve, I never connect, I never give, I don't plug in. Maybe I'm so connected, I'm so, I'm so loving, I'm so generous, but I don't actually know a lot about the Lord. Well, I serve, but I don't, I don't necessarily I'm supposed to do it that's why culturally it's acceptable when we talk about holistic training we're talking about looking at each of these areas and the question we have to ask ourselves is do I know the God that I say I, I love do I love God with all that I am and am I using my gift set to actually be a part of his redemptive plan in the world these are the three areas and as shepherds and as ministry directors, as elders and deacons, our call, our responsibility is to equip you. And this is where Paul actually turns in this verse to talk specifically about why we're training. This is the what of the training. When you show up on a Sunday morning, you're called to engage and to train, but it's for a purpose. It is with a purpose. Paul says that the training that happens is for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. 1 Corinthians 15.58, Paul expresses a similar thought saying that, that the believers in Corinth are supposed to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. He uses a similar concept in Philippians when he's talking about a co-laborer, Epaphroditus. He's saying he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul says that there is a work that is a focus of the training, the preparing, the equipping. That, 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 it, that to be trained in the mind and in the head and in the heart and the hands. That every, every aspect of our holistic training is training for a purpose. 
It is for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. The work of the ministry that Paul is talking about, ministry is service. Ministry is service. Look, if you are coming to church and you're seeking to come and consume and come and consume and come and consume and you're never turning around and actually engaging in work of the ministry of actually service, you may be neglecting the primary reason why God has actually called you, brought you here to be trained, to equip, to go, and to serve. You're called to be a servant. There are so many Christians, quote-unquote Christians, in the American church who are spectators to a sport that's taking place on a Sunday morning instead of realizing it's time to get in the game. It's time to actually engage in what God is doing in his redemption of the world. The work of the ministry. So many times as evangelical Christians, we act more like Catholics. You see me as the paid professional that's supposed to be doing your work of ministry. My responsibility is to train and prepare you. That is your shepherd's responsibility is to train and prepare. Your responsibility is to do the work of the ministry. Interesting, right? How many times have we read this and thought, oh, this is their work of ministry? No, you are the saints. You are the found. You are called to be trained. The Lord is going to ask you what you've done with the gifts he's given you. Are you training with a purpose? This is like bodybuilders versus athletes. I remember watching WWE, WCW when I was younger. I was before Christ, okay? Don't judge me. I remember watching these guys and thinking, oh, these guys are so awesome. I remember my dad coming home, and he looked at the TV, and he's like, those fake muscles. Those guys are a bunch of fakes. And I'm like, yeah, right. Rock's like 6'4". He's humongous. Look at him, you know? And I was like, those guys are fake. Now, for those of you who don't know, my dad played in the NFL for six years. So he knows something about working out. And he said, all those guys, they use low weight, high reps. They, they like to get puffed up and all this sort of stuff. But they don't use those things. It's all for show. It's a big show. He's like, when I was training, we trained for a purpose. And the purpose was the game, to compete, to win. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, yeah, but it's still entertaining. So many of us. Settle for just simply looking good on the outside and we never actually use the muscle God's given us. Are you training with a purpose? Paul says, the training that you are called to do, what we are preparing you for and equipping you for is ministry, service. This word ministry is actually the word that we are more familiar with, perhaps deacon. That is the official office of a servant in the church. But Paul applies this word ministry to all believers. The second purpose he gives is for building up the body of Christ. Building up. These people gifts are called to equip you. To prepare you. To train you. And the two ways that he gives that we're supposed to be built up is in maturity. That we are supposed to reach maturity in love. Last year, when we saw how many people were disrupted and disturbed by what was going on in the church, you know what it revealed? There's a lot of immature Christians. Loads of them. And it also revealed how consumeristic so many are. That the church is not providing a service for me, so I'm going to take what I have and go elsewhere. Newsflash. Christians. 
Worship services on a Sunday morning, it's not a service that our pastors are providing for you. We're all showing up to provide our service rendered to God, our King. The the American church has got it so backwards and so twisted that we like the show, we like the lights, we like the smoke, we like all of that stuff. That's all fluff. We're all here coming, entering in that our heart's service would be rendered unto the Lord. Our service is not offered to each of us. It's to the Lord. So the question when you enter in on Sunday morning is, is my heart actually prepared to render a proper service that is worthy of the Lord? People are like, oh man, I just, you know, the worship and the word, that is the result, that is the fruit of a life that is lived in Scripture. If you want a deep, satisfying Sunday morning worship experience, spend time training all throughout the week. We've got too many Sunday Christians. You check out on Monday, and you, you think, oh, where's my Bible on Sunday morning? Our service here is unto the Lord for building one another up. The purpose, the perspective, all comes with this goal. And there are ways that we seek to live out this goal and it's in community toward one another. There were people who were talking about, oh, I'm going to leave this church, I'm going to leave that church. I'm like, do you realize what your absence, you're not going to hurt me, but think about what your absence is going to do to the other people around you. And the question would be, am I actually training in community? You know what's sad to me? CrossFit. CrossFit. And the training that they provide is such an electric experience for people. It's because they're training in the trenches together and they are in it together. And they are providing a communal experience in the the hard things that they go through. What's fascinating to me is that CrossFit is not only the largest fitness chain in the world, it's actually the seventh largest chain of any kind in the world. You know what's ironic? It comes behind Pizza Hut, Burger King, KFC, Starbucks, McDonald's, and Subway. (laughs) You know, if you cut out these, you probably wouldn't need... Only 23% of U.S. adults met the recommendation for weekly physical activity in 2018. 35% of Americans, uh, only 35% of Americans participated in high-calorie burning activities in 2019. Only 20% of U.S. adolescents met the guidelines for both physical muscle strengthening and aerobic physical activity in 2017. Look at the disconnect. We spend billions of dollars, billions of dollars to go to places like CrossFit for physical training and then we consume garbage the rest of the week. The church is no different spiritually. Should I just pray and leave right there? We consume the world Monday through Saturday. And then we come on Sundays and expect a little blip on the radar to transform our hearts. There is a disconnect between what we say about God's word and how we actually live in the word and how we actually live the word in community. 
head, heart, hands. Jesus doesn't want one aspect of your life. He wants all your life. Lifeway Research found that 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, but 61% have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the last six months. So it's really important, I just never do it. Most attendees have friends at church, but only a minority invest time to help other believers develop their faith. It's as if churchgoers arrive to sit together as spectators for a game rather than arriving as player coaches who work together and develop each other's game. That's Scott McConnell, of the director of Lifeway Research, who said those words. I believe one of the reasons why CrossFit has actually erupted is not only helping people get physically fit, it is providing something that the church used to be, which is in the trenches for one another, actively seeking And as we're on mission together, we're training when we come together. We are challenging and sharpening one another. How has your head been? How has your heart been? How have your hands been? Have you been serving? Have you been loving? Have you been growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? These are the types of questions Christians used to ask themselves when we were seeking to reach the lost. These are the types of questions that we would actively sharpen one another and train one another. I don't want to go to the gym and have somebody yelling at me and telling me to do one more rep. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to the church, the reason why CrossFit has grown is because we need people to come alongside of us and challenge us to grow. And so when we enter into these, these doors, it should be no different among the Christians that we find around us. Am I actually in community? Life groups are not a service where you go and you show up and you're like, eh, it wasn't really for me. What were you offering when you went? What were you giving? I've always believed that the grass is greener where you water it. What are you seeking to do about your life group, about our body, to actually make it what it ought to be for the Lord and for one another? These are the questions that Christians who are serious about their faith and wanting to train in their faith should be asking, are we intentionally seeking to grow as a body? Paul says that the natural result of our equipping would be work of the ministry and the building up in love of the body. You think about the examples of training. We have Jesus training his disciples. It was on the job training. Hey, you're going to be my disciple. Okay, I guess I'll quit my job and go follow you. On the job training. Paul Picked it up from there, and he did exactly what Jesus was doing in his ministry, specifically to the Gentiles, and you can read about it. In 2 Timothy 1 through 2, he even tells Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That there is a transferable cross-training that is taking place within your gatherings, whether it's at your table or in our fellowship here on a Sunday morning? Is it actually transferring? Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice, training, equipping, the training grounds that ministry of ministry that grace is offering to you where you would seek to train here, DNA groups, women's Bible study, life groups, 
Grace Kids, Grace Student Ministries, and Young Adult Ministry? Are you in a DNA group? Are you in a place where you memorize and meditate on the Word of God? Do you have accountability toward that end? There is no room for complacency or apathy in the church any longer. We are living in a post-Christian world, and you are beginning to see the ripple effects of what the coasts have seen now beginning here in West Michigan. We can't wait any longer. We can't be pacified any longer. We must train. Are you training in community? Are you in a life group where you are being sharpened? Are you adding actively to the ministry that's taking place in your life group? Are you signed up for a training workshop this next fall? Are you training God? Are you training your mind in loving God? The application would be simple. Connect. Sign up. Go and tell. You know what's fascinating to me? I went to Bible school with a guy who did all of these things. I went to Bible school in Greece for one year, and there was an Iranian guy named Mosin. Mosin had been a refugee who had come to Greece. A street evangelist preached the gospel. He received the gospel. And a year and a half later, he enlisted, he enrolled himself at a Bible college. And one Saturday, one of the gals that was also in our group said, hey, have you ever been to Mosin's church? I said, what do you mean Mosin's church? She's like, oh, he's, he's, he leads a church. He's a pastor downtown Athens. I was like, what? I got to see this. So one Saturday, I met him in a train station, and we ended up going down to the heart of Athens in a red light district area where so many Muslim refugees were gathered. And Mosin, in spite of a command by the imam in Iran for a site and kill order for any Christians, in spite of that, he was going and he was leading an underground church. They met in a cafe, and when we walked into the cafe, they closed all the windows, and there was about 250 people that were crammed together. And as they were crammed together, Mosin goes up and they start distributing chicken like crazy. They had like 50 chickens, they're cutting them all up, a bunch of rice, they're passing all out. I was grubbing, it was amazing. Mosin goes up to the whiteboard and after praying, he starts drawing this diagram and he starts teaching his lesson and I was like, what is this guy doing? This is the lesson that a bunch of Bible college students were just learning earlier this week in our Old Testament survey class. And this guy literally has our workbook open and he has given everything away that we're just learning. And every single one of those former Muslims or Muslims are sitting in there with their notebooks open and they are writing everything down and they were eating it up just like the chicken they just ate. They were consuming it. And I thought, how bizarre is it that the American church is filled with Christians that think if I just get a little bit more, then I'll be ready to actually give away what I got. Mosin was training with a purpose. He was training and he was using what he just got in order to give it away. And I think we could take a page out of Mosin's book and learn to do exactly the same. How many times have you come on a Sunday morning, heard a message, and not told another soul about it? How many times have you heard a Sunday school teaching or a Bible school teaching or you listen to the radio and you just consume 
and it goes nowhere. Mosin put himself in a position of desperation in his training where he absolutely hung on every word of our professor because he had people who were dependent to feed off of what he just learned. What if we lived in that type of, in that type of an environment, in that type of lifestyle where what we get were given away? Christian, are you training holistically, head, heart, and hands? Are you more satisfied with reading a book and never giving it away? Are you more satisfied with just loving someone, maybe in a practical way, or being more empathetic and you're not actually telling them about the God of the Bible because you don't know the God of the Bible? The challenge would be to analyze the areas in your heart where you've atrophied in your faith. Analyze the areas where you may be a little bit lopsided in how you're training. And to actually look and say, I need to train more in this area. Connect, sign up, and go and tell. Grace, I am so excited for what God is doing. I'm excited for what he's doing, and I know that the work ahead is like a mountain. But I also know, I also know that it's not by our power that we're going to do it. It's by the Spirit's power. And I am eager and desperate to see a church that is serious about training in their faith. Because I believe that the mission of God is far too important for us to be atrophied and weak in our faith. Would you please bow in prayer with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you've called us, Lord, as shepherds, as teachers, to train the found. And Lord, I pray that we as Christians would not be satisfied with simply hearing, but that we ourselves would be intent to engage and to be trained ourselves, Lord, so we can actually actively serve and build one another up in love until we all reach maturity in Christ. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.